God was magic, right? But Jesus was just a man. And what I loved about Jesus was he was kind and he, he was brave. And I thought he was amazing. And um, I absolutely I thought he was brilliant, like just a brilliant guy. I wish there was a God. I wish there was, it'd be great. What I've heard, he's brilliant. I fear and love God. When you remove the fear and love of God, you create the fear and love of everything else. You're talking to somebody right now that only fears God and Jesus has won the victory. I mean, growing up, I wouldn't say I've been that religious, so I haven't really, all I know is from school and sort of like learning about Jesus in primary school, but Jesus, yeah, isn't really a massive part of my life, I wouldn't say, but I, I feel like he's real. I, I think he definitely was a historical figure. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he's definitely at present now, but like he was, at one point in time, he was alive. I always see him as a figure of peace because like I'm Muslim myself but I don't believe in all the teachings but I believe in some parts of it. So like Jesus is part of the, the message of peace and love and you know um, tolerance. Great to be speaking to you uh, once again. Here we are at the start of a new academic year. We've got a brand new series called Virtual Jesus that I'm bringing to you today. My name is Matt Carvel. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Hello to you if you're watching this in our Shoreham site. Congratulations on your new site leader, Mike. I used to uh, play football uh, with Mike. In fact, I uh, did teacher training with his wife, Lou, as well. And I can say that Lou is a great teacher. Hello to you if you're watching this at uh, our Oasis site as well, or my back garden, as I like to call it, as I live just uh, around the corner. And to those of you in our Hove site as well, I hope after Tuesday evening, you're going easy on Graham. Us Scottish people, it's our cross to bear, but we will get through. And uh, if you're watching this online, Great to have you with us as well. Get dressed. We're about to look at God's Word. I'm joking, of course. You can watch this in any state that you would like. If you're watching this here at the uh, Clarendon Centre, uh, you do need to get dressed. I am not having that conversation uh, again. Let's talk about cancel culture. I wanna, that's where I want to start uh, today. We live in an age that we're very sensitive to the fact that words that we can say can have a big reaction. This phrase, cancel culture, it first started coming into use maybe about five years ago. In fact, in 2018, the phrase appeared in UK newspapers six times. Now, the phrase is being used hundreds, if not thousands of times in the media that we consume. And we're very familiar with the headlines of different instances. Just the other week, we had uh, Graham Linehan, his uh, comedy gig at Edinburgh Festival was cancelled and he uh, had to do it outside the parliament. Uh, in the summer, Nigel Farage has been complaining about his bank account. And actually closer to home as well, just down the road at University of Sussex a couple of years ago, uh, Kathleen Starker, professor uh, of philosophy, uh, she was forced to resign because of her feminist uh, views. She was cancelled in that way. What does it, what does it mean? Well, this phrase, interestingly, has evolved over time. Initially, it was something that was more employed by those on the political left to campaign against injustice. Maybe it was more akin to sort of boycotts, civil rights, boycotts, 
in generations gone by where it was a move against big business or, or powerful individuals to bring some sense of accountability. It was about consequence culture. It was a statement that the rich and the powerful just can't get away with whatever they want, that people can use their power to ignore, power to take their business elsewhere, to reject unacceptable behavior committed by powerful people. But over the years, the term is much more now being used by those on the political right as more of a pejorative phrase, a dog whistle for the fears that any views that would be outside a woke defined social norms would be shut down. And you'll find the term appearing in much more right-wing media than left-wing. Now, what it should mean and who can claim the phrase is not what this message is about, but I, I raise it because we're aware of words having big impact culturally. Maybe even we're aware of this on a personal level. Maybe through things that you have said or something that you've done, you've been rejected or ostracized. Maybe you've been kicked out of the family WhatsApp. Or maybe it's to do with your employment or ostracized by friendship groups or you, you live in fear that something that you might say might land you in trouble and even lose your job. Things like that are happening. Things can move quickly. Maybe one day you're just having a cup of coffee in the staff room and the next minute you're in front of a disciplinary because of something that you have said. But what I want to say today is the climate that we live in is nowhere near as volatile as the climate of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when we, and we read, as we will in a moment, about Jesus' earthly ministry. That was a context that was incredibly sensitive, divisive, and politically charged. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, and in fact, what we're going to look at right the way through this virtual Jesus series, we're going to focus on just two simple words, really, that Jesus said that had huge impact. We're going to read about today how he said these words and the crowds around people picked up stones to try and stone him to death. That's, that's not a Twitter mob. That's a real mob. Sorry, it's not called Twitter anymore. Please don't cancel me for not being able to keep up. But this was a volatile situation. And Jesus, if he hadn't escaped, as we're going to read about in a moment, would have been stoned to death. And probably not many people would have cared. Jesus lived in a time that there was lots of, or a, a, several at least, claims to be the hope for the Jewish people, messiahs. And the ruling Romans wouldn't have cared too much of another one being put to death. The Jews were an oppressed people in Jerusalem. The region was a political powder keg. And on this instance that we're going to read about in just a moment, Jesus escaped from being killed. But he went on to say this phrase again, and again, and the religious leaders, they got him in the end. They got him. They got him killed. They convinced the Romans to help them with it. And Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. And here we are 2000 later, years later, and we see crosses everywhere in churches, but people got tattoos of that, or people wear them around their necks. It's, it's a symbol of execution. It's like having a electric chair around your neck. 
Why is it so important? Why is it so associated with with Jesus, Jesus' life, his death, why is that so important? It happened because of what Jesus said. And the two words that he says is, I am. I am. It's a powerful phrase. In fact, it's a phrase that has literally changed the course of history. And this phrase, as we look at it today and look at it right the way through this virtual Jesus series, is going to help us to understand who Jesus is really is like on the video that we have just seen different people celebrities or just people here in the street in brighton expressing their views and perspectives and ideas of who jesus is we put them on the video not because these are the, the correct ones these are just different people's perspectives well, what we're going to do is we're going to contrast that with jesus in his own words what did jesus say about himself jesus said this phrase i am many times and he often put the ends to that sentence as well. I'm going to unpack them week by week. And as we do that, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, our hope is that you are going to be challenged. Because as I say, when Jesus said these words, it caused a reaction. If Jesus's words here don't stop you in your tracks, even if you've been a Christian for some time, then you have not understood the power of what Jesus is expressing by these words. So let's jump right into a conversation that Jesus is having with some religious leaders and then we'll unpack exactly what he's talking about. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Well, I said it was a conversation. It's really, as you've just heard, much more like an argument. And that was actually quite common for Jesus' interactions if you read right the way through at John's Gospel where that passage was taken from. You see, many people, you know, as we've expressed on the video there, people's ideas of Jesus is that he was someone, oh, he's brilliant, he's a nice guy, he said nice things that we can all listen to. But when you read about what Jesus was actually like, he was always saying things that were controversial. 
they got into arguments with people. And in this instance, there was Jesus in the temple as he's, as he's saying this. You notice the reference to the temple at the end there. And so the temple leaders, the religious leaders, and they're trying to discredit Jesus. Jesus is standing up and saying things, and they're challenging. They're trying to take him down a peg or two or more than that. And the passage that we've just heard is the follow-on bit to a question that Jesus asks these leaders. And he says, verse 46, which we didn't hear, but just comes before, which one of you convicts me of sin? He's like, which one of you have has actually got something to say against me that will undermine me. And that provokes the temple leaders, the religious establishment of the day. And they respond with a move that's quite frankly out of the Donald Trump playbook, where instead of engaging with the premise of an argument, you insult your opponent personally. And that's funny but it's sadly far too successful <laughs> generally in the time that we live and that's why that's the context for that first phrase that you heard verse 48 where the people say you're just a Samaritan and have a demon essentially that's what they're saying and they're trying to insult Jesus and they're unleashing both barrels they're trying to insult him ethnically and spiritually as well and Jesus responds by saying, I know my father. I know where I come from. I know who I am. And that's God. God is my father. And my words, my testimony is true. In fact, my words lead to eternal life. Now here, we might read and think Jesus is equating himself with God. He's saying that he's God incarnate. It seems at first, the people that he's speaking to, don't, they don't quite pick up on that. When they do, that's when they start picking up stones. But not, they're not quite there yet. And so they ask another question. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? They ask, expecting the answer no. Now, Abraham was the most important figure in the, in, for the Jewish people. He was the original man that started this re renewed covenant relationship with God. Being part of Abraham's family was being God's special people. He is the pinnacle. And there's like, Jesus, are you saying you're more important greater than him and then they add to that who do you make yourself out to be now as a former teacher myself i recognize a classic school teacher insult when i hear one hey stop singing in my classroom who do you think you are ed sheeran stop running in the corridor who do you think you are dina asher smith who do you think you are Stop hacking into the school's computer systems. Who do you think you are? Gary McKinnon? Who's that, sir? Gary McKinnon? The British National accused in 2002 of hacking into 97 of the US's military and NASA computers, which some have called the biggest military computer hack of all time. That Gary McKinnon. You know what? At least he did his coursework, got his GCSE, so get on with yours. Sorry, I had a little bit of a flashback there. Anyway, who do you think you are? These religious leaders are trying to take Jesus down a peg or two. Jesus seems to have ideas way above his station. And actually, that's what many people would say that Christians have done to Jesus. That actually they've elevated Jesus far above where he should be. 
as was kind of intimated on the video at the beginning there, many people would say, well, Jesus, he had some helpful things to say. And many, most people, scholars or otherwise, would accept that Jesus lived. There was a man called Jesus who 2,000 years ago was walking around Galilee and Jerusalem. And he was a teacher and maybe he said some things that are helpful to people and crowds might have gathered. And maybe even he did some things that people couldn't explain at the time. But surely he's a historical figure. And therefore now he is a, is a relic of history. Something, you know, someone who is important at the time and we can look back on and know oh, it's helpful or interesting. He's, but he's a relic. He's not really personally important to us. Now, that's many people's you know, One of the people on the video said that. It's not really part of my life. We just put him in the carrot, in the uh, section, in the box of historical relic, like other historical figures. Doesn't really have impact today. And, and Christians seem to try and take him out and say, well, he, he's the son of God. He's, he's done all these miracles. And they've just elevated him like that. And it's not really there. Well, let's consider that. I guess what I want to say is that this idea that Jesus was, well, he's just a, a relic of history, a, a spiritual teacher. Th that is a virtual Jesus. This nice guy, hillside teacher, is actually a, a Jesus of the imagination. Someone who people suppose existed, but there actually isn't evidence for. It's a fiction. Because when you look at the records of Jesus... This passage from John's Gospel is part of that historical record of Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit in to that picture. Jesus said things all the time that were controversial. The historical evidence points in the other direction. He made incredible claims about himself. It wasn't Christians centuries later ascribing these things. Jesus said these claims this nice guy spiritual teacher let's think it doesn't actually even make any sense you know on the video of ricky gervais oh jesus it was brilliant well he's just like a nice guy nice guys may finish last but they don't tend to get crucified they don't tend to get crucified jesus said things and made huge claims like the ones we read here today and the response might be well oh okay well maybe jesus didn't get crucified then maybe people have added that in that he just died somewhere else well again look at the evidence and you don't even have to go to christian sources of evidence to see that attested to in fact jesus's death is one of the best attested to aspects of the historical record one of the greatest Roman historians, Tacitus, independently records that Jesus was executed by Pilate in his history of the Roman Empire that he wrote in the early second century. And in the first century, Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, not a Christian, again, records that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate. So the idea that a Jesus existed in history that 
didn't really ruffle any feathers and just said some nice things that people were on board with. It's not there. He's not, that's a virtual Jesus. He's not there. The only Jesus that is there is one who actually caused outrage by his words and ended up being crucified for it. So that leads us to the question, what is so significant about this phrase that Jesus says, I am? Why is that so controversial? Why did that lead people to pick up stones when he said it and he had to rush out of the temple before they got him and eventually led him to be crucified on a Roman cross? Crucifixion reserved for the worst of criminals. What's going on there? I mean, think of what is described in this passage. They were ready to stone him to death. Can you imagine standing there? Can you imagine picking up a rock? A rock, you know, the size of your hand. Being faced with someone and that being in a place where you want to throw that rock in their face to kill them. I mean, what, is, what sort of headspace are you in to do that? You are either in a place of extreme anger and or in a place of extreme sense of injustice. Of course, I'd like to think none of us would be capable of that. But just to think about how, how would you be in that headspace? What has Jesus said that's provoked that type of reaction? And at first glance, when you read it, it doesn't seem that controversial. I mean, it seems that Jesus is saying that he's better than Abraham. He's more superior, which is disrespectful. But my question is, why don't they just laugh at him? I mean, this carpenter's son from Galilee, who just rocks up into the temple and they say, you better than Abraham? Oh, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. Is he, is he saying that he pre-existed? He's, he's more important. He, pre he was somehow pre-existent to Abraham. Why didn't they ridicule Jesus? for? Why did they get so angry? Well, it's because what the specific words that Jesus used here, to Jewish ears, Jesus' words were not just offensive they were heard as an affront to god blasphemy if jesus had wanted to say to them that somehow before abraham was that jesus existed he would have said before abraham was i was but he didn't say that he says as rendered in our english I am, which in the Greek of the New Testament would be ego, Amy. That, I am, ego, Amy, is one of the most important phrases in the whole Bible. And to understand that, we have to step back into the Old Testament for a moment. And maybe even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might have heard of the story of Moses. Moses, in the book of Exodus, he gets himself into trouble, ends up in the wilderness. He's walking around the wilderness and one day he sees a burning bush and he thinks, well, so that's what happens sometimes in the wilderness, things start burning. But then he recognizes that the bush is not burning up. It's continuing to burn and the, the bush is still there. 
And so he investigates and he realized suddenly that God is speaking to him from this burning bush. And God has a mission for him. God has a task for him. God is sending him back to God's people who are enslaved in Egypt, that Moses would be their leader to rescue them out of Egypt. And Moses starts to argue with God and says, I can't do that. I can't speak to them. I'm not. He's just afraid. And one thing he says to him, he said, okay, what if I go to your people? And I say to them, God has spoken to me to lead you out of Egypt. And what if they say to me, who sent you? What do I say to them? Moses asks God, what is your name? Exodus 4 verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And if you read the Greek language version of the Old Testament, there it is. Ego, me. Jesus in John 8, we read today, before Abraham was, ego, me. Other parts of the Bible, Isaiah 41, I, the Lord, God is speaking, the first and with the last, I am he, ego, me. Whenever you read, Ego, Amy, in the Bible, it is God talking about himself. Jesus knew what he was doing. And the religious leaders that he's speaking to suddenly twigged what he was doing as well. And it all kicked off. They couldn't believe it. They could not believe it that this carpenter's son could be God incarnate. It, it just couldn't be true. It must be blasphemy, and therefore this Jesus must die because of this claim. Any idea of an uncontroversial Jesus is a virtual Jesus. The Jesus of history claimed to be God, and he was either right or he was wrong. And you must decide for yourself. Is Jesus speaking the truth? Is this Jesus of 2,000 years ago, God incarnate who's come to live amongst people like you and me? Or is he not? Before I finish today, I want to ground this personally for us. Because what, what difference does that make, that question of whether Jesus is telling the truth about himself or not? Because as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, people say controversial stuff all the time that gets them into trouble and causes a reaction. And, you know, those newspaper headlines that we might read, they don't personally make a difference to our lives. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into the temple in Jerusalem. And I don't think he did it to make a fuss and to get a reaction. I don't even think he did it so that the people hearing him would believe in him, these religious leaders. It doesn't seem to expect that they will. 
I think he did it because he wanted us to read this 2,000 years later so we could make a choice for ourselves to speak these words into our lives. And John, in writing his gospel, he has that in mind from the beginning. And he writes in John chapter 1, the word, the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And John writes, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into the world that he made. And he walked into the temple in Jerusalem. The temple, the house of God. And he said, if you're looking for God, here I am. Imagine being in the temple that day. Just ordinary people there. And someone makes this claim. Up to that point, Jesus was just another man in the temple. People would have walked past him, not taken any notice of him. People so busy trying to get to God, trying to be spiritual, trying to follow the rules, perhaps, trying to have a spiritual experience. That's why they're in the temple. And they would have walked past Jesus. Maybe they walked out again and didn't even speak to him. And that's the situation today. These words of Jesus echo to today. And people, as we speak to on the street, know something about Jesus, but they just walk past him. They don't consider what he said. They don't consider these claims. They're living with these false ideas of who Jesus is. And we live in a time and a place people full of the idea of trying to be spiritual, trying to get right with God or trying to live a good life. And Jesus is standing here and saying, here I am. You want to know where God, I've come. I've come here. I am. People in our city dismiss Jesus as a relic of history and not, don't even listen to his voice. Mate, is that you? Listen to him's voice investigate if you were there on that day in the temple and he said wouldn't you speak to him wouldn't you look at his life wouldn't you consider is that could this be that god has come to live amongst isn't that worthy of investigation and i hope you can journey with us through this series as we speak more about jesus read john's gospel for yourself Could it be true that God has come to live amongst us? Well, that is what every Christian has come to know and to experience, that God has not stayed far above us, but has stepped into this world. And not just stepped into this world 2,000 years ago, but I, his spirit has come to live with us in the busyness and the messiness of my life and, and your life. And he's continuing to this day saying, here I am. When life gets messy and difficult, Jesus says, here I am. And when things get difficult, when we're in the boat and the winds and waves of life, 
Jesus is right here with us. Here I am. I've come to be with you. He's the still small voice in the hurricane of life that says, here I am. When we fall, when we get it wrong, when we come to the end of ourselves, we've come to know Jesus who reaches his hands out and says, here I am. This claim is not just theological truth. It's an experienced reality. He's come to be with us. God incarnate to live amongst us, to extend his love and his grace and his faithfulness to us. It's what Emmanuel means. God with us. Our lives are shaped by this truth that he's here with us. I want to encourage you. Have you listened for his voice this week? Have you rested in his presence this week and heard him say, here I am. I'm with you. I'm for you. I forgive you. I love you. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the Jesus who's come to be with us. He's inviting us to come to him today, to know him and to know him more. He's calling you to himself today. Here I am. Let's listen to the words of Jesus and draw close to him today. Amen.